Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rail Group On Air, presented by Railway Age and Railway Track and Structures magazines and International Railway Journal. I'm your host, Bill Wilson, and I am the editor-in-chief of RTNS Magazine, and welcome to another podcast. This is Rail Group On Air. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm Bill Wilson, Editor-in-Chief of RTNS, and I am here to unveil the 2021 RTNS Top Projects list. Over the course of the next few months, we will be featuring one of the winning projects, and this month it is the BNSF Bridge number 66.4 over the Little White Salmon River. Anything that weighs over 2 million pounds and has to travel on water usually is armed. The project that involved the BNSF Bridge number 66.4 over the Little White Salmon River in Cook, Washington, was, for the most part, a peaceful demonstration of complicated engineering and construction. By peaceful, I mean despite immense challenges, everything went according to plan even when it came time to move that 2.7 million pound, 360 foot long through truss span for 60 miles on the river. I had the chance to talk to BNSF project manager, Alan Bloomquist about this amazing engineering feat. Why don't you describe the bridge, why it needed to be replaced, the condition of it, maybe you can go into that. Yeah, so the bridge itself, um, it's 150 foot long, pin connected through truss, uh, kind of light steel design by the SPNS Railway back in 1913. And so, as part of our capital replacement program, you know, we inspect this bridge and it was reaching the end of its useful service life. And so, it went on to what we call our heavy bridge program. And you know, a light truss like that, we're trying to get rid of all the pin-connected trusses. They inherently have, uh, you know, fracture-critical members and pins and stuff that are difficult to inspect and even worse to try to replace if you, ha- if you wanted to do it that way. And we get a lot of hanger cracks and things like that that form on, like, the U1 joint. So this is just one of the few on that line segment. We had about five of these pin-connected trusses, and this was, I think, the third one that we tackled to to try to replace and upgrade and improve our capacity and our our line. So, How did this rank with the others as far as um, challenges? Yeah, this line, I mean, if you're looking at the, the Fallbridge subdivision, which is our line segment that goes from uh, Vancouver, Washington, it actually goes into Portland, Oregon, but effectively from Vancouver, Washington, up the the north side of the Columbia River all the way to the Tri-Cities and Pasco area. Um, there's a there's a few bridges on there. Like I said, there's actually five of them on this line that were all the same, same exact design, same same type of bridge, 150 foot long. 
we had a few that were longer, about 200 feet, but roughly in that same area, 150 foot long pin connected truss. And so they all, they were all pretty much in the same, same boat. And we just kind of try to tackle them one at a time. But the challenges on that line are that, you know, the railroad built the line back in the early 1900s. It was actually one of the, the later new construction railroads at that time. And the challenge was that later on in the 20s, uh, we sold half our right-of-way to the highway department, and they built Highway 14 on our right-of-way, kind of on our rail embankment. And a lot of places, because when they built the railroad, they're trying to make it uh, a well-engineered railroad, so to speak, and so reducing curves and trying to maximize speed. There's a lot of fill sections that cross the what were river channels and now are kind of lakes as part of the Columbia River. You know, it's all dammed up, and there's backwater and stuff so like this location Drano Lake is a large lake that is uh, an outlet for the Little White Salmon River and so the challenge comes in that the highway is right next to the railroad in some cases the highway guardrail is you know five feet from the end of our tie and so when we get to the bridges it becomes a really big challenge trying to figure out how to get the bridge replaced without affecting the highway without affecting the rail traffic, without affecting the mariner traffic underneath the boats and all that, because this is also a really heavily used fishing ground for salmon fishing. And in fact, the Yakima Indian tribe uses this for their their fishing rights that they have. And so it's just challenges all around that we're trying to avoid impacting. And uh, we've practiced, a, <laughs> I say practice, but you know we did it a few times before on other bridge locations. So this was kind of our... I think our third one that we got to this point where we were able to hone in on a method and uh, our contractor partner, Advanced American, came up with uh, this idea of floating out and floating in because um, we had just enough water out there to do that. And by doing that, it really reduced the amount of temporary works we needed and pushed us into a method that was minimal impact to all those different issues and uh, stakeholders. So talk about the the main span portion of this project, um, you know, dealing with that. And uh, the site was over about 60 miles away, uh, having to deal with basically, I believe, floating this main span all that distance and then into place. Yeah. So, yeah, the site constraints, because of the highway bridge, effectively right next to our railroad bridge, you know, we had no lay down yard. We had no area to really do any pre-assembly of anything on site. All of our foundations had to be built underneath the bridge, you know, with micropal foundations. All of it had to be constructed, you know, under train windows of, without a, impacting the highway bridge. And so the contractor, uh, one of the main reasons why they were really competitive on this bid is that they have a, a yard in Portland, Oregon, on the Columbia River with barge access where they can access um, the river. They can. They have a barge fleet. They can do things on. So their proposal was basically to erect everything um, down there. Now, what they did actually, our fabricator too is on the river. So the contractor was able to assemble their barge assemblies and all that. Our fabricator, just across the river in Vancouver, Washington, was able to, 
you know, erect and fabricate the bridge on site. And that was a huge cost saving because typically when we get into fabrication and erection, what happens is, you know, you fabricate it, the, the fabricator preassembles it, makes sure everything fits, disassembles it, ships it to the job site, and it's reassembled. Well, we didn't have to unassemble anything. They were right there and had a yard. So the fabricator fabricated all the pieces, assembled it right there on the riverbank, and then transferred it on to barges that the contractor brought in. And you know, the contractor is the one that transported them. But that transport process, you know, loading it onto barges, uh, there was a slip there that they were able to put everything in and get the bridge loaded up onto it. It was a pretty critical activity because, you know, you're transferring this large truss onto barges from ground. So you have to account for tides and balancing the, the barges and ballasting them and making sure you have enough water in them. And so it took a long time. It was a good, I think, 12-hour process or so from start to finish to get the, the truss loaded onto the barges. And then once it was loaded, the contractor used their fleet. They had some access to tugboats and, um, you know, they do a lot of work on the Columbia River. So they were, you know, they had the contacts and transported the, the truss up river 60 miles. Uh, I had to go through the Bonneville Lock and Dam. And that was a, a pretty unique process. You know, I guess, you know, you do it all the time with grain barges and, Whatever, whatever, whatever other commodities are going up and down the river, but to have the truss go through, you know, they made sure it would fit and get in the locks and come through. And then just up the river from there is where our bridge site was. So it took a, about a full day to, to get from Vancouver where the truss was erected up to our bridge site. And by doing that, you know, we avoided all of the laydown area. We avoided all of the, the yard that we would have needed. And basically this project was 100% water-based. You know, we built the foundations on land, but all of the support, you know, the cranes, everything was, was from barges next to the bridge. Talk about the process of just going, moving through that dam. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the lock and dam there, they have a set dimension uh, for what things can fit in there, and our truck basically just barely fit. And if you ever, you know how locks work, you know, you go in and then they close one end, raise the water up, and then open the other end and have you go out the other side. And, um, you know, like I was saying, routine for things like grain barges and whatnot. But our contractor had a pretty uh, pretty good plan for mounting the truss on the barge so that it was low for the portion of the, the transit from Vancouver to the bridge site. And then they put it on some transfer bents and rotated the barges under it and then reset for the the change out. So there's a couple maneuvers there where we had to take the truss off the barges and rearrange everything. But yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a pretty interesting process that, you know, just because of the location and, you know, everything working out, it, it really worked out well to, to utilize the, the river for what was a pretty major transport. So talk about the process once that section got to the site and how you got it up into place, secured it, and then everything after that. Yeah, so the the process required, you know, for transporting from Vancouver to the the bridge site, the process required that the, the truss be kind of the long ways on the, the barge, right, so that it, it's that low and was stable for transport. But for the change-out process, because our, our wind or our um, span length, you know, it's only 150 foot and we're going back with a much longer truss. 
the barge had to actually be rotated 90 degrees under the truss. So what they did was they brought the truss up the river in that down low position, kind of tied to the barge and long ways. And then they set it on what they called transfer bents that were built in the river. So there was a either end of the bridge had six piles that were the same width as the the new truss. And so when they came in, they set the, the bridge on those piles, took the barge out from underneath and rotated it 90 degrees. And by doing that, they were able to reset the barge for the change out position and uh, get it ready so that when we came in for our dedicated window, we would come in and take out the old bridge and then just push the new one straight in on the, the new barges that, or the, it was the same barge that transported it, but the rotated barge and the uh, change out uh, sequence. And so that process, it took us about a week ahead of time is when the, the bridge showed up on site and then they did the whole transfer and all that. And they got it all ready to go. You know, we were doing our window bright and early Sunday morning. And, you know, they were out there up until Saturday, you know, getting everything ready and getting everything under the old truss ready to go. So that when we hit on Sunday morning and we took everything out of service, basically what would go on is, you know, we take the railroad out of service, the old bridge comes out as soon as we can, and then they have to do some prep work. You know, the, the piers need a little bit of work. We had to knock some things down. And then the new one would get put in place immediately. And so there were a lot of challenges, challenges with that as well because there were wind concerns. You know, you have this giant truss sitting on a barge, 90 degrees of it, so it was overhanging a couple hundred feet on either side about 100 feet on either side and you know wind could tip the barge one way or the other uh, and that would be a challenge for when you're floating in um, just the power to push it in if you got this giant sail effectively and leading up to it that whole week was windy very windy there were days that we would not have been able to do the change out so right up until you know 5 p.m on saturday we were having discussions about whether or not we're taking the window or we're going to wait and see and then on top of all of that, uh, this was when the fire season was in peak um, peak mode, I guess. And what was going on, we were, we were having visibility issues and um, smog issues with the amount of smoke that was in the air. So not only did we have wind, we had smoke and fire all around us. And it came to a point where, you know, the weather forecast said it would be good to go. So we, we said we we're going to go. And as soon as we hit our window, it was, it was beautiful. It was actually, you know, calm waters and we went in and uh, like I said, the process was to float the old one out. And then once the old one was out of the way, kind of clear out the, the substructure that was in the way and then float the new one in and set it down. Uh, it sounds simple when you kind of say it like that, but there's obviously a lot of little parts and pieces inside of that. What was it like taking apart the old section and moving it out? So what they did was they had a barge uh, arrangement where they mounted it underneath the truss, basically tied it to the truss the day before. So Saturday was spent all day tying the, the float-out barge to the bottom of the truss. And what they did was they used water on the float out barge to sink it down as low as they could make it get it underneath and then slowly bring it up and then once it was touching they tied everything together 
And so effectively when the changeout window started, all they had to do was start pumping water off of their barge. And then that, um, that ballast removal brought the new, the, the barge up underneath the old bridge and basically popped it off. I mean, that's a lot of force, a lot of water, you know, water weighs a lot more than you kind of think it does when you start comparing it to bridges. And so it, they just had to keep pumping out water, and once they got enough water out, it, it lifted the bridge off bearings. And once it was floating, uh, it was really simple to just kind of push it out and get it out of the way. You know, the most complex part of that is just maneuvering and making sure that you're, you know, being safe about it and not running into anything. And so the process, the most of that process was the time it took to just pump water out of the barge. Um, and then you just kind of let the barges do the work and lifting it off. What other challenges did you face? I mean, that, that's a heavy dose of challenge right there, but were there any other challenges uh, that proved to be tricky? I think the, the biggest thing that came up for us as a challenge on this project was just the lead-up to that change-out window. Um, the fear and the, the worry that we were going to have to cancel it, you know, because of wind. And um, that was that was really what was on everybody's mind for the week leading up to it. Because, you know, we, this line for the BNSF is one of our most important lines in terms of delivering goods to the Pacific Northwest and Portland, Oregon, all of our West Coast ports up there in the Northwest. And so taking it out of service is a really big deal. And even worse would be to take it out of service and then get shut down because of wind. And, you know, those are things that we plan for and try to adapt to. And it was just that challenge of being prepared to you know, either jump into a window or not, and it was a big decision to be made, and, you know, we made it, and everything kind of worked out well, and, you know, I'll commend Advanced American Construction for their planning. Um, I really enjoy working with them because of their ability to really plan everything out. They they looked at every scenario, every case, and, you know, worst-case scenarios, and what would happen if this, they had a plan for it. So, in the process of rebuilding this bridge, just getting through those challenges, they had plans for it. And so it, it made it, I don't want to say easy, but it made it something that we could work through. Uh, it wasn't, you know, reactionary. We were prepared for a lot of different things. And the other big challenge, you know, earlier on in the project was just the foundation construction. Um, this area has a basalt layer that's varying, um, if you know all about, you know, the northwest there with the volcanoes and all that. So the geotechnical conditions, you know, basalt's great if you can get your foundations into it but it can also be some tricky because there's boulders and other things from the river and it's just a, a very tricky foundation to build so we had a lot of challenges in getting the micropile foundation built um and that's kind of something that you don't see from the railroad side because you know we're running trains the whole time and you know we're taking our time to do the foundation but once the foundations were built the process went pretty quickly and what were those challenges with the foundations just getting them all drilled in. So our original design had uh, micropiles, you know, angled in such a way that they interfered with rail traffic, and we were going to have to take a bunch of windows to do that, which, again, knowing the, the importance of this line was not really uh, feasible. And so our contractor came up with an alternative design where they rotated some pile around, they moved it so that our clearance window could still be maintained while we drilled the pile. And so the challenges came in that, while we were doing that work, you know, we were hitting obstructions, uh, pile weren't going as, 
fast as possible. And, you know, we had a hard deadline of meeting our, our change out window because, you know, if you can imagine all of the planning that has to go in place on the railroad side to take the track out of service for, you know, 24 plus hours, you know, it requires a lot of coordination with the transportation team, you know, getting crews lined up to be ready to go as soon as we're open. Um, you know, there's hours of service requirements. There's just so many different things kind of down the line. You're communicating with customers and, you know, people that we're working with and delivering goods for and, you know, letting them know that when they're going to have their goods. And so all this planning, and if you don't hit that window, you all that stuff kind of goes out the window and you're, you're reacting to it. So getting those foundations built in a manner, in a timely manner that we were able to do this change out was a huge deal. And again, the contractor met the deadline. You know, we were pouring concrete a couple of weeks ahead of time so that we had the cure time to be able to set the span on it, but they got it done. So is there anything else you want to add about this project? Uh, obviously, one of the most challenging on our list, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, it was a very challenging project. Like I said, our contractor actually had a little bit of practice doing this because this bridge 66.4 uh, we did last year, and we actually did bridge 58.8 in a similar manner uh, the year before that. And, you know, we actually have one more to do on this line segment. It's at milepost 72.8, so uh, a little east of here. And that one's even more challenging, and we're trying to figure out how to how to do that one because the, the highway is even closer to it. But, you know, I just, you know, want to add, you know, I'm proud of our team that we had put together. Uh, you know, our design engineer, HNCB, did a great job designing us a bridge that, you know, spanned the whole way and a trust that's going to last us a long time. And then Advanced American, our contractor partner, really coming up with a plan that was, you know, cost effective. This was a lot cheaper than actually doing it uh traditional method, you know, with like a trestle and trying to slide it out or something like that. So. While it seems more complicated, it actually was more efficient from our perspective, and it was just a really good project and a really good example of what planning and executing that plan can do. What I enjoy most about doing the RTNS top projects list is just the incredible stories that come from it. And this story on the BNSF bridge over the Little White Salmon River is an incredible story. So I'd like to thank Alan Bloomquist from BNSF for joining us. You can read up on all of our top projects in our June issue of RTNS magazine. Stay tuned for another podcast in the coming weeks. For RTNS Magazine, I'm Bill Wilson, and I will see you down the line.